Welcome in episode nine, the Ginger and the Jew podcast. I think we've kind of coined the term the G, the G and the J podcast. We're not that cool yet, but my name is Nick. I am the Ginger. I am Scott. I am the Jew. And Nick, let me tell you what. I am so pumped for this week of college football. This is the greatest week of the year. I will tell you why a little bit later. Yeah, I, we're, we're going to tease that a little bit. This is a big a big college football week, a big week for us. We're excited about it. Every college football week is exciting, but I do agree. A lot of cool things are happening. We're getting down to the wire there. We're getting down to some important games coming up within divisions of conferences. Um, and we'll talk about all that later. Really quickly, always again, you can find all of our episodes and everything on Twitter and Instagram and hopefully a little bit of social content there at Ginger and Jew Pod. Um, you can follow us there um, just to chat about what we're doing, what you like, what you don't like. Um, Tell Scott to go eat something when he's on the road traveling one of these games. Um, he'll definitely take you up on that. So, so with all that said, we got a real cool, interesting topic to start off the podcast this week. Um, Scott, you actually brought this up, so I'll kind of lead it in, but I'll kind of give you the, the ability to lay it all out. This is a build your dream college football staff. Tell me about this a little bit. So Nick and I did not win the lottery, breaking news. We do not live in South Carolina, which someone won $1.8 billion. We live in the South, but not South Carolina. Thank God. But, uh, so this is pretending if we did win the lottery and if we had an unlimited amount of money, how would we build our college football coaching staff? So we can take any college coach right now, whether they're a head coach, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and build our staff. So what we're going to do is have a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback coach, and then head of branding, which is going to be kind of like recruiting or, or also branding their school image and, and who does that the best. So that's how we're going to build this path. So I think the way we should do this, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we should go each role and go back and forth with who yes, we like. I think instead of just giving our yeah, five. Okay. So we'll start with do you want to go you want to build up to head coach? Do you want to do it that way? That could even be something that because you gotta think Okay, head of branding. Okay, so I didn't know how to how to take this, um, and it's really interesting the way we put this. So I picked someone that that truly is he looks CEO like, and he and he just looks like a brilliant guy, and he's, he's kind of taken a couple programs, and he's kind of built this. Um, you, you want to call it the he's not a Michigan, but it's the Michigan way, or it's this way. So who I'm taking is my man James Franklin. The reason I'm taking James Franklin is, is it might be all an act, but he got Vandy in line. He's getting Penn State in line. And he, and he mentioned your, your favorite quote, which I know got you a little triggered, but he's not an elite team yet, but he gets these guys believing that he is, and he looks like a CEO to me. So, so what I think is, is I always like James Franklin's bravado, so I think he brings a brand with him that kind of puts him out there in front. I also kind of do this to kind of troll you a little bit as well. You know, I, I think it's a good pick. I think he's a great recruiter. I think he's got Penn State uh, going in the right direction. But after that rant he did, uh, James Franklin will never build your brand. Will never build my so my thing though is like, think about when he was at Vandy though. You kind of kind of look. He did, so, so, he did the whole anchor yeah. down stuff. Yeah. He got the fan drama. No, made Vandy relevant. He made Vandy relevant. I, I, James Franklin is a good coach. He's a good. Uh, He's going to bring Penn State to an elite level, hopefully. We'll see. Oh, as, long as, elite, as long as the players turn off their cell phones in the meeting, that's what he said. But James Franklin will not be a mind staff, and I get why you picked James Franklin. So, Who you I'm got for branding? Stay in that same conference. Oh. I'm going to row the boat. 
Oh, he can flex. I forgot about the tagline. He is the guy that I want to brand my school. Uh, he's got the road to boat motto. He brought Western Michigan to an undefeated season. He's got Minnesota fans believing. He's young. He's spontaneous. He can recruit. I want row the boat. PJ Fleck is my head of branding for my team. Yeah, that's a good one. I forgot about all the taglines and the things he's got. I think he actually copyrighted all that too. Trademarked it. I think he owns row the boat. They got a little. They got a little ore on their helmet. Because he had it at Western Michigan, he had it at West and Michigan, so he had it. Minnesota. Yeah, he's gonna bring it to my team. Look, I'm gonna be honest with you. If you can actually brand a quote and take it with you somewhere when you leave, like you got to be the head of branding. I like that pick a lot. Um, okay, so we'll go to quarterbacks coach next. That's kind of the next rung up if you're kind of going leading up to the head coach. Um, for my quarterbacks coach, and I and I struggled with who to take because I, I I almost took this guy as my um, as my offensive coordinator, but I didn't. And I'm taking Lane Kiffin as my quarterback's coach. The reason being is, and we, I talked about this earlier in the season, is Lane's a great offensive coordinator. But if you go back and look most recently at Alabama, he got so much out of these quarterback, a.k.a. Jalen Hurts, that no one really likes anymore. And I'm not saying they threw it a lot, but he got stuff out of them, and he got stuff out of Blake Sims that was there, guys that aren't really – Great, great known quarterbacks. Um, so, so I would take Lane Kiffin. He, he, will, he was almost my OC, but he'll at least be my physical coordinator because I'm taking, or he'll at least be my quarterbacks coach because who I'm taking as my OC is somebody I really love. All right, I like Lane Kiffin. I got two guys in mind. Ooh, not how this works. Yeah, both these guys can develop quarterbacks, and I'm going to go with a guy who is more relevant to kind of my beliefs and my fandom. I would say I'm going to go with. Dan Mullen as my quarterback coach. Okay. What he has done with Christie, Tim Tebow. Uh, in that system. Right, in, right, I'm going to have that system. <laughs> Christie, Tim Tebow, uh, Dak Prescott, Nick Fitzgerald. What he's doing with Felipe Frank. Cam Newton, almost at Mississippi State, almost paid him 100K to be there. Right. <laughs> he, he's a quarterback whisperer. He is a wizard. Uh, players have called him a genius when it comes to quarterback coaching. That guy goes, oh, he also coached Alex Smith, first round pick in the draft. He also coached uh, Omar Jacobs at Bowling Green as well. So there's a lot of guys that he has done. He has been successful with all the quarterbacks he has coached. So give me Dan Mullen as my quarterback coach. That's pretty good. I like that. Now, the other guy I was going to also oh, consider yeah. was Jimbo Fisher. What he's done with quarterbacks. Putting E.J. Mangle. Putting Christian Ponder as as early he got those guys paid. He got those guys paid. Marcus Russell, the first round pick, who we coached at LSU. James Winston. James Winston. Jimbo. Fisher. Look, you can tell me right now. He is a genius as a quarterback. I think we all can agree right now. James Winston is not a top quarterback in the NFL, but I mean, he definitely did really well under Jimbo. He so, helped get these guys yeah, a lot. Sure, that's a really all good. These guys were first round picks. All right, so let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Um, I'll go first. Um, I, you know, I understood the point of you can go grab head coaches to be your DCs. I went ahead and grabbed a guy that is currently a DC because I think he's the next one that's going to get a job. This guy's getting a job probably in this next season, and that's Brent Venables at Clemson. I, I think that what they've been able to do there, and, and, and Dabo does a lot of it with the recruits that come in, but Brent Venables every year, he's almost the new, the new Kirby Smart. He's the guy that's behind the big national, ship, national championship contender team that's coaching the defense, and every year his name comes up. He's going to pick and choose where he wants to go, and when the right job opens up, Brent Venables will be the head guy because of what he does on defense. Love that pick. I'm surprised he's not a head coach right now. Mm -hmm. 
How is he not ahead? It's the Kirby thing. He, he's he's choosing accordingly. Kirby has been rumored in jobs forever, but the Georgia is where he was at. So Brent Venables, I'm sure, has a short list of when something comes available. It's the same thing Saban did with Smart. He's like, wait around, be rumored in some of these big jobs. You'll get one. I'm sure Dabo's saying the same thing to Brent. Like, hey, don't go take Arkansas yet, or don't go take one of these ones that you're rumored for because something else will come down the track that might be a better um, fit for you. And he's getting paid two million dollars as a DC. I think he's. I think he's right under uh, Miranda from LSU. So he's going to up. Yeah, it's like one point six or eight. Like David Miranda. That's a good choice for my DC, but I'm not going to choose. Him. <laughs> so I thought that's where you were going. I'm on not going to choose David Miranda. I'm also going to go with you and not choose a current head coach. Nice. I was thinking Kirby Smart would be my guy, and the more I thought about it, how could you not go with Don Brown from Michigan? Oh, Don Brown from Michigan has gotten that defense to be one of the best defenses in the country this year. They were very good last year. And before he was at Michigan, he was at Boston College. Boston College, for the two years or three years he was at Boston College, was one of the best defenses in, in the country as well. So it doesn't matter if he has elite talent at Michigan or not so elite talent at Boston College. The guy's successful everywhere he goes. So why not get Don Brown in my defense coordinator? That's good. That's good. You're going to need it because people are going to be able to stop Dan Mullen, as they do most year, every year. Um, but let's move to the offensive coordinator position. We know what scheme you're running. I guess we don't have to be consistent, but you said you're going to have that system. Um, my offensive coordinator, like I said, I went back and forth with this guy and Lane Kiffin. I think it's more – and I, I think I may have chose more on just people I like, but it's Dana Holgerson from West Virginia. What he's able to do – I mean, look, Wilger's great, but the numbers that they consistently put up on offense and passing the ball and his schemes and his and his, and his – Crazy sideline antics to get so amped up. I think Dana Holgerson, with the way they throw the ball and the, the system they kind of run, I think with, with Lane Kiffin coaching my quarterbacks and Holgerson calling the plays, we're going to win a lot of games on, on, on our dream team. I like it. <laughs> so there's two guys I'm thinking about right now as well for offensive coordinator. Now I've got Dan Mullen as my quarterback coach. The guy I was leaning towards was Mike Leach. Ooh. Just because – I've got to have the pirate as he could be a brand guy too. Yeah, Mike Leach, what he's done at Washington State, phenomenal. What he did at Texas Tech, phenomenal. I love that guy. He has made the Pac-12 fun to watch because he's at Washington State right now. But you know what? I'm not going to go with him. I'm going to go with one of his disciples, and that is going to be. He's young. He, if it wasn't for this elite offense, I don't know how good this team would be. But Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma has gotten that team to be a machine on offense. It doesn't matter what quarterback they have. They can have Baker Mayfield. They can have Kyler Murray. They can have you, Nick, as a ginger, being nice. the quarterback. You would be throwing 300 yards minimal a game if you have Lincoln Riley as your offensive coordinator. That guy is a genius as offensive coordinator. Yeah. They've got players, and I don't know if it's a, the, uh, the Big 12 defenses or if it's his scheme, but they've got guys running wide open. So give me Lincoln Riley as my offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I like your, your veiled shot or unveiled shot there, ginger quarterbacks. But Andy Dalton, we did discover earlier this year, Sam, da Sam Darnold, ginger quarterback as well. So we're doing pretty well. So let's not go too far. Now. Okay. Um, so let's, 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 let's tie a nice bow around this and choose your head coach to lead your team. I, I wrestled with this a little bit because it's very easy to go Saban or Urban Meyer. I am not going to go with either one of those. I think it's too easy. I don't like to do that kind of stuff. I think this is more for fun. Um, so I went with another guy that I really like. Huge recruiter. Got this thing rolling. Um, national, ship, national championship contender every year. And it's Dabo Sweeney. 
I feel like we were going to do the same coach based off what you were saying. So you got Dabo? Dabo Swinney. Okay. So the reason I have Dabo is, is what I just said. Everybody likes the guy. You never hear anybody like he, – he, he works with the media well. You never hear anybody like he's not as salty as a Saban. He obviously doesn't have the issues that Urban Meyer has. He, he seems like a pretty good guy. He, he recruits really well. He has fun. He's passionate. Their fan base and, – and, and I, see, I know a lot of people that are, that are graduates from there and stuff. You can believe in this guy. You, you can believe in what he tells you. He brings the fans along. They've got a good thing going right now, and that's what you need as a CEO type. You need the brand from the other guys and the, and the coaching, right? But Dabo's that CEO that keeps everybody in line, consistently good, coordinators, players bought in, bought in, stay for four years a lot of times, make sure everybody's in a good spot. So Dabo's when he's my guy. Yeah, I think most people would say Nick Saban. Nick Saban to me would be there, but he is too old. He's about to retire too old. at some point or he's going to die soon. We'll, we'll wow. See. He's either going to retire. It's a stretch. I mean, what is he, 70 years old? He's a robot. He's not going to die. Yeah, all right, good. Nick Saban to me, he's the obvious candidate. I'm not going to choose Nick Saban. I'm not going to choose Urban Meyer after what that debacle he went through this year, uh, earlier in the season. We disagree a lot, Nick, but I'm going to agree with you. It is yeah. Sweeney as my head coach. Like you said, he's a CEO type. You can't, it, like people, when people think that was weird. Most people don't say, oh, he's an offensive guy or he's a defensive guy. Yeah. You just know him as that I wouldn't guy. know what coordinator he was yeah, before. He was some type of offensive guy at Clemson, whether he was a wide receiver coach, custom team coach, something like that. Yeah. He is your perfect CEO. He's a great recruiter. The players love him. The fans love him. The Clemson has all rallied around him. He's got the phrase, bring your own guts. Give me Clemson's Dabo Sweeney as my head coach. I'm going to bid a little bit more than you. Yeah. For him. Okay. Because hey, I want him as my head coach. I'll give him the slide in his office, wherever he's got in the facility. I'll give him Howard's Rock. I'll give him whatever he needs, traditional wise, to get him. So, so we'll, we'll battle that out. But I like, I like that pick. Um, I think it's good to, to kind of talk about. I am a little sad. We did not have Coach O anywhere on our coaching list. If there We're was officially a defensive line coach on this, I would have had Coach O 100% of my We've got to figure out a way to get him in a motivational role. Remember he had the well, stuff where he was at USC? He had a it could. I should have done Coach O as my brand. That would have been good. Yeah, James Franklin over Coach O. Coach O takes he's his shirt off to recruits. He's going to fight guys. That's a boy of the week. <laughs> Taking James Franklin over Coach O. I just did that for the reaction from you. So, okay, we're going to dive in. Let's talk about some things that happened last week. A couple – we talked about this a little bit. There wasn't a ton of big games. There were some good things to watch. Um, a lot of teams were off, especially – I watch a lot of SEC being down here in the South. Four SEC teams were off, so – a lot of ranked teams were gone. Um, let's talk about a couple headlines. First and foremost, what happened to Ohio State? I'm a big Dwayne Haskins guy. Talked about it a lot um, this year. Um, not really his fault. They just—it's like they hit a buzzsaw and Purdue just dismantled them, and it was not even close. I'm actually not surprised that okay. this happened. So the first game of the season when Ohio State played Oregon State, Ohio State scored 70 something points. They gave up 35. So points of Oregon State, and that was a big red flag for me when I saw that game. Thinking Ohio State's got a lot more talent than Oregon State. How are they giving up thirty-five points? And so then they play uh, other teams in the season, and their defense does not show that they are elite and doesn't measure up to their talent level or their recruiting ranking level. So that to me was a red flag. So I'm actually not surprised 
that they lost. Look what they did last year when they got smoked by Oklahoma and then got smoked by Iowa. Now, people might have saw the Oklahoma game coming, but you certainly didn't see the Iowa game coming, and that's why they got left after the college football playoffs last year. If Purdue doing it this year is why Ohio State will get left out of the college football playoffs this year. It's, it, happened, it happened last year. To yeah. me, it's not a shock. Their, their defense is not that good. Their offense struggled a little bit. And when uh, they're not comfortable in blowing out people, yeah. Wayne Hathaway seems to struggle a little bit. And I'm not surprised. And Purdue's got talent, and Jeff Brom is a damn good coach. If you want a good offensive coordinator, I could have chosen Jeff Brom as yeah. my offensive coordinator. So he was rumored for some jobs. Obviously, I think Tennessee really wanted him. They went way down the list, and he ended up probably turning the job down. Back to your point, though, I agree. This is that same – it felt so much – I think I tweeted this out from from the Ginger and the Jew pod, uh, podcast Twitter account. This felt so much like last season's loss to Iowa. Beat down, horrible loss that they cannot apologize away. And the, and the committee did a good point last year, or they made, a, they made a precedent last year of if you have a glaring loss on your schedule, it's tough for you to get in. I think that – um, they look. I don't. They have never said this, but I think they look towards. If you have a loss, is it a good loss? Is it a decent loss? Is it a, where I always go back to my team that I picked in the beginning of the year, Michigan? You know, they they drop one at Notre Dame, which turns out to be a decent game, a decent loss right now. They're going to look at these resumes and they're going to say Ohio State's loss, as good as Purdue may end up being, it's not good. You weren't competitive. You had to throw the ball. I just looked at these stats. You had to throw the ball 73 times, 73 attempts. That's insane to me. When has Ohio State gone away from the run and needed to be so far behind? They've had to throw the ball 73 times. That's insane. I think you hit it on the nail. So Ohio State is allowed to lose to Purdue and still get to the college football. Yeah, sure. But the word competitive that you just mentioned, they were not competitive in this game. They looked like their defense had quit. They were clueless. Uh, 49 to 20 was the score. They lost by 29 to Purdue, who Purdue, what are they? Four and three right now. They already had three losses. This Ohio State team, they can win the rest of their games. They're not a top four team in the country for me the rest of the season because of this loss right here. It's the same thing with Iowa last year. Yeah, just looking at the Purdue schedule here, they have a loss early in the season to Eastern Michigan. It's a one-point loss, but still, I mean, good God, that's not good. Wow. <laughs> I don't think we knew that until we looked at that. Uh, okay, so we're going to jump around. Another headline from last week. Um, this has kind of been a season-long um, topic that I think we want to discuss a little bit. It's the targeting rule in college football. I have a couple issues with it. Um, this got brought to light really recently with the Devin White hit in the LSU game. Um, I think the reason the problems I have with it is, is the referees have to determine intent. Um, a lot of times it happens with receivers and tight ends that duck their head. I don't think, and this is something I don't think they should do, but I don't think they, I don't think I've ever seen a targeting flag on a fullback or a running back that lowers their head and takes somebody out. So it's really weird rule. So is there any way, any suggestions you have we could fix this targeting rule? So let's go back to Devin White for a second. If you didn't see the hit, it was late. Uh, in the game, fourth quarter against Mississippi State, he pretty much just he used his hands. He used his hands, hit the helmet barely of Nick Fitzgerald. He could have crushed Nick Fitzgerald. He could have laid him out, and he did not do that. Now Devin White, the best player for LSU, has to miss the first half of the Alabama game. So the question resides is how do you fix targeting? How do you make it uh, fair for the players? Um, the players are not getting paid. This is what they love to do. And so for Devin White and for players to miss a half of the next game, 
uh, to me is kind of ridiculous. So the way this is the way I would fix it. Um, it would be similar to soccer, and I don't love You're soccer. Big soccer. I do not like <laughs> soccer, but they Foot, got football for the red year. card and the yellow card. I think Devin White said to me was a yellow card. That was okay by the the letter of the law. Sure, that was targeted if you want to call it that, but it wasn't very intentful. It wasn't. In, huge impact on Nick Fitzgerald. To me, just give him a yellow card. Give him a warning. If he gets two of those, throw him out of the game, and then you can give get rid of him for the next half if you want of the next game. If there is blatant intent that is 100% no doubt targeting, that could be a red card, and then you're thrown out of the game. But, but I see your point, but you can't determine intent, and that's the problem is, is or do you, let me ask this, do you not throw the, so you've got that, you say, okay, it's targeting during the game. We're going to call it a 15 yard penalty. We're not going to throw anybody out. After the fact, you have a committee who reviews it, yeah. and then you go in through every targeting. You say, okay, this what looked like intent. This did it. This looked blatant. This did it. Because all targetings are not equal. They're, yeah. they're not equal. So you can't treat them as equal, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just tough. It, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's tough because I understand this. I, I did coach a little middle school football, and kids don't know how to tackle, and there's a it's a whole initiative in this country to, to teach people how to like see heads up training and things like that. So I do see the need. Um, the problem is, is I agree with your point. It'd be great to have some kind of committee that reviews these, but you're starting to get into gray area and everybody trying to determine someone else's intent that's running full speed down the field at launch angles and someone lowering their head. I don't think there's going to be a formula for this. So I think what we have to do is um, I don't mind your idea of, you know, getting, you know, warnings, extra if you get a second when you get you get kicked out and things like that but the problem is 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 they have to try to manage this with rules and laws and and and, and flags but there's no way to there's no way to determine someone's well, intent go back to soccer how do you know i mean you got a red flag in, or a red card in the yellow sure. card some of that could be intent but being a guy that intent. watches a little bit of soccer no one ever thinks that's the intent either and so, so the thing is the player can tell you that's not my intent so it's, that's it's like I said, it's valid, but well, maybe, it's, it's well, never a red card might be aggressive fouls in soccer versus not aggressive. How, I mean, do the same thing. This looks aggressive. We'll give you a red card. This doesn't look aggressive. We'll give you a yellow card. So the problem is, is what's wrong with that? So the problem is, is what you just said is every defensive coach says you need to be aggressive. Like you need to hit hard. You need it. Like here's the problem is, is this game is physical, and and trying to rightfully so keep people safe and keep people involved. You have to try to limit the 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 chance of people getting hurt. Well, you're still getting the 15 yard penalty. We're still going to penalize you either way. Um, what's your take about someone missing a half of another game like Devin White? So that's what's tough. That's what's tough. So, so I agree with you. So so that's where I think there's some valid points of having a committee review or after watching it and saying it wasn't targeting, not coming to the second half of the game. But there has to be some sort of penalty. Like you can't just have guys head hunting and it, late in the fourth quarter, you're up, and you lay some guy out. But you not, have to have consequences. Not everybody is headhunting, and they are pulling the flag that are not headhunting, and that is my problem. If you are headhunting, like you said, you know if you're headed. But you your definition of that you is different. You a hit if someone's headhunting, throw them out of the game, get them rid of uh, for the half of the next game. But you act like White, to me, was not headhunting. I agree. He's missing this game. All targets are not equal, and that needs to be fixed. But I agree they're not equal, but – you can't get into the mind of someone that's hitting someone. So you don't know what his intent was. Well, I was it's almost like the intent of the guy doesn't mean to grab your face mask, 
but he grabs your face mask. He doesn't mean to grab your horse collar, tackle you, but it happens. Okay, what about basketball? Flavor one and flavor two. Flavor, the intent, there are levels in these sports I mentioned. Basketball, flavor sure. one, flavor two. Soccer, red part, yellow part. Why can't it be football? I mean, you have roughing the punter, and you have running into running the punter. So you still have that. So why can't you have targeting the same issue? To me, it doesn't make any sense. They need to review it. There needs to be levels of targeting. You could see, intent or not intent, you can see if there was a blanket hit to the head, so do you think that push to the head. And, and also what's ridiculous, and I think the most ridiculous thing in targeting that I've seen was a few years ago, it happened in a bowl game. Somebody, had, I think it might have been Florida State, someone barely touched somebody, they got called for targeting. Guess what? It was a bowl game. Nothing they missed happened. the first, no, they missed the first half yeah. of the first game of next season. Yeah. So you're going all offseason knowing this guy can't play for the first half of, next, of the first game of the next season. That is ridiculous. I think we got to look at this also, too, is very valid points. I know we're frustrated, but we also have to look at, like, the rules of football have always been there, like, since we've been alive. Like, I'm in my 30s. Like, rules have always been there. Holding, you know, pass interference, those penalties have been there since I've been alive. These rules are new, so they're going to take time to perfect and to get to a better place. I agree with you. There's not a good plan right now to, to achieve this. But So my question to you is, is do you think people should miss half the game? I want to say this, so everybody here. I am all for player safety. No, you're not. <laughs> I, 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 you, I mean, basically what you're hearing for me is you probably don't think I'm for player safety. I'm all for player safety, but I want fairness. I don't think it's fair to treat targeting the same because not all targeting is equal. I think if it is pure, blatant targeting and, and you can see it because you can't see it. Maybe it's a tip. Like the ones on the punt and stuff where the guys just stay in the The ones on the punt, the guys start catching it and he gets laid out. Or someone's coming across the middle and they take out his head. That to me, if you're going to miss a half, sure, you can miss a half. But I, but here's the thing: I actually think that you shouldn't miss the half of that game. It, it should be if you have targeting in a game, you do it in the first play. half. Oh, no, you should continue <laughs> to play that game. Um, now, if you it is deemed targeting, maybe there's a review committee. You view a video of it. After the game, you have that committee, they review it, they say, you know what, that is blatant targeting. You're trying to kill this guy. You are going to be suspended for the next half of that game. Do you know what happens, though? Uh, when you the get, next game. So don't throw everybody out of that situation. So when you, when you bring in the committee to review it, you know what then comes with that? And it's what's in the NFL. It's appealing that, which means, you ready for this? Some guy takes somebody's head off. He gets suspended for the next game. He then appeals. He can play against Bama. And then he gets to sit out There's for no Southeastern There's Mississippi no, College. It's the letter of the law. There's no appeal. Whatever the NCAA, whatever says, go. So the players who already no, think no, they no, don't right, have right. hold on. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. What you're telling me, though, is the players who already feel like they should be paid and they should get other kinds of rights, you're now going to tell them that we can have you miss games and then start to affect the money you can make in the NFL, the, 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 the highlight the takes you can make and stuff like right that. Now. That's what I'm saying. Though. What I'm saying is, is you start you telling me. You can still do a video. Because it's reviewed. It's reviewed in the box anyway. So you can still have a review. What I'm telling you, though, is if you if you tell someone, let's take Devin White, for example, you're suspended for the first half of the Batman game. We're going to send it to our team to look at. I can't appeal that. So The biggest game so for Devin what White. I want, what I want to happen is Devin White has his penalty against Mississippi State. Continues to play the, the game. It's a 15-yard penalty. Continues to play the game. After the fact, since that was called targeting, all targets are reviewed by a committee. Whatever the committee then deems 
that they think if they say yes, this deserves a half a game suspension, they do it. There's no appeal process after that. There's no appeal process now. I'll leave it at this. The last thing that we need in college football is another committee reviewing something. So I'll leave it at that. Because <laughs> I think we can put that in place, but people wouldn't. People wouldn't like what the committee said. Agree, but people we would don't go like down the same. Going, people don't like what's going on right now. Do you think Devin White should be suspended? I do not, but I also think there has to be some rule in place to keep people safe. And you don't believe that. Well, I will <laughs> say this. I just crazy. Kidding. I heard this stat, and there's more targeting this year than there was last year. And it's even halfway through the season that we have more targeting this year. So, what's very. So what, I don't think that should be how this law is. So what's very to. apparent is, well, this is what's really frustrating. When you're watching a game, they call targeting, they review, and they say, nope, it wasn't targeting. Because then it becomes like, that's just a football play. If you can't determine what happened at full speed, it's almost like take holding. I know it's a different penalty, but holding happens at full speed. Targeting happens at full speed. Right. If you can't determine what's going on at full speed, there has to be some sort of human error. Every sport has human error. Balls and strikes in, in, in baseball is a human calling balls and strikes. It's their strike zone in a game. So, so I agree with you. Like, it's hard, it's hard to, to, to like have stuff reviewed in the game and then, well, he did target. Because if you slow things down, things look a lot worse. Guys are running full speed. Some people are ducking their head. There's all kinds of launch angles and trigonometry that I don't understand. So I'm just trying to say this, is, me, though, you this gotta, is not going on. You need a review in the game because you can see it. Human instinct to throw a flag on a huge hit. When that huge hit might be in the stomach, in the sternum, not the head. And yeah. so I've seen refs a lot of times throw a flag because they saw, oh my God, that's a huge hit. But when you actually slow it down, it's a legal hit. Yeah. So you've got to review that in the game because that to me is not fair yeah. at all. Because human instinct says, oh my God, huge hit. It's football. There are going to be huge hits. So I'll just say this. I'll leave it at this. I think we both agree with this. I'm glad there is heads-up football training and stuff going on in this country that can hopefully help to save the way kids do this and can and help coaches, the game of football because coaches, we love football. And coaches of Pop Warner and the, and the youth need to teach how to hit correctly. I'm all for player safety, but I think that there does need to be a change in this time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so that was intense. So we're going to move on to something a little more happy, a little more fun, okay? So this is the, the segment we do every week. This is our carrot top of the heap. Um, want to start with mine for last week. We talked about this team, big, huge win um, over the Oregon Ducks. Gardner Minshew, the quarterback for Washington State, 323 yards, four touchdowns, threw a couple picks, but it was so cool to see Washington State. I'm a big Mike Leach guy. We talked about him. It was cool. I'd never known that Washington State had never had game day at that's pretty, that's pretty stunning. Which is crazy because they have the old crimson flag and they have the cool tradition of it goes everywhere. You always see that. good seasons. Too. Yeah. I've watched a lot of game day over the years, and um, it was really cool to finally see. And they had a bunch of people because, you know, when they go to the West Coast, it's early in the morning. It's 5 a.m. and stuff like that. Well, so. What was really cool about the game day was the very opening segment where they had one guy waving the flag, the guy who started it. Yep. And then – they pulled back the camera and then you saw all the other flags. That gave me chill. That, that was crowd cool. was really cool, and it was cool to see them win because that was a big game in the Pac-12. Like We've talked about it. They kind of go back and forth, and they'll probably get left out of the playoff just because of they're all going to beat each other up. But big Washington State win. Gardner Minshew, 323 yards, four touchdowns in the win. That's my top of the heat. My top of the heat for me, Rondell Moore, wide receiver Purdue, 12 receptions and 170 yards, two TDs. My question is, how did he go to Purdue? 
This guy is electric. Your boy Jeff Brown is recruiting. He, he had offers from Alabama, I think Georgia. This guy is electric. Uh, Rondell Moore has shown up from the beginning, from the opening kickoff of college football season against Northwestern. This guy was awesome. Electric. He did it against Ohio State, elite competition. You are the top of the heat, Rondell Moore. Uh, and that is my only top of the heat of this week. Yeah. So we go to Oyve's now, Scott. Explain to me again, Oyve. Oyve is really, you know, Oyve is you picking James Franklin <laughs> as your head of brain and go, okay. Oyve is, is the negatives of the week, something that happened during the, the weekend that you were just. Makes you totally, scratch your head. Makes you scratch your head, makes you, make you a little puzzled. And if you're Jewish, you say Oyve. If you say Oyve. <laughs> All right, so with mine, um, it, we just talked about this, the targeting call against Evan White, against Nick Fitzgerald. This is crazy. Like I, I don't, and I think it, it's two. It's a two-part Oyve. I don't think it was targeting. This guy's going to miss the biggest game, maybe in the SEC this year. So there's going to be. He's going to miss the first half against Alabama. They could. I mean, he's one of their best defensive players. So I think that's my biggest Oyve of the week. Is just what are we doing here? Like I said, I think there's a need for it, but some things aren't targeting. He pushed the quarterback and he got called for targeting. So that's an Oyve. Okay, so Oyve for me, I'm going to go from last year's stats and see what this guy did this year. So last year's stats against the same team, this guy went 15 for 23, 180 yards passing, two TDs. He also had uh, 88 yards rushing and two TDs. So he combined for four TDs. Uh, last year against his team. This year against the same team, he went eight for twenty-four for fifty-nine yards passing, four interceptions. And he also he did have one hundred twenty-three yards rushing, zero TDs. So last year he had four TDs, zero interceptions. This year zero TDs, four interceptions. That's a complete one eighty. That is a boy Bay. I'm talking about Nick Fitzgerald, Mississippi State. I don't know if it's a coaching of. He misses Dan Mullen. He might miss Dan Mullen, my quarterback coach. He might miss Dan Mullen. I don't know if it's the scheme that Joe Norhead's running. They're not running him enough, but he cannot see the field right now when he's passing. And to me, there are issues at Mississippi State at the quarterback position. They might have to go to the backup, Keaton Thompson, but you know what? He's a running quarterback too. So I don't know what they're going to do with Oyve, Nick Fitzgerald for doing a complete 180 against LSU. Yep. Um, oh, the other one. I got one more. So this conference has been down the entire year, and they had one matchup of undefeated teams. It's Clemson versus NC State. This is a big headline game. It was a huge game for both teams for the ACC. They were hyping this game up. Game of the year of the ACC. And what happens? It is a total mismatch. Clemson dominates the game. It's 24 0 or half. It ends up being 41 7. Uh, the final score. So to me, the ACC game of the year was a complete flop, and that is an Oy Bay on that conference. So what was crazy about this was I was hyped for this game. I was hyped for Tennessee-Bama as well, just because as much as I knew Bama was going to win, you thought it might could be competitive. Both these games were at 3.30. I was trying to flip back and forth. I had people in the house. I was trying to see both games. I flip over to Clemson. It's like a route at the beginning. But I will say this. I remember seeing the line when it came out. And Clemson was a 17-point favorite. That was too much in my opinion. I know, but but it really wasn't because it at wasn't the right. NC State, we just I guess they're just pretenders. I guess the undefeated really didn't mean anything. And we've oh. talked about how the ACC is not as good as it maybe is. I'll say NC State has played nobody this season. And the one game that they were going to play for a competition at a conference was West Virginia, but the hurricane canceled that game. Yeah. So we really haven't seen what NC State is. Yeah. And I thought, you know, 
with Clemson struggling against Syracuse and still Trevor Lawrence being a new quarterback, I thought NC State with their quarterback, Ryan Finley, would have more experience and keep the game at least close. This game was over in the second quarter. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is a special episode for us. We kind of teased this at the beginning. Um, I've tried to do, I think we've both tried to do a good job of this throughout our episodes. We don't like to talk about our allegiances really to teams, um, but this week's very special. This is actually rivalry, hate week. There's a lot of big rivalries coming up this week. There's one that's really special to us, and we'll kind of give a background on that, and that is the, it's actually a huge game this year. It's where College Game Day is going this year. It is, I think, number eight versus number 11, 10 or 11, just depending on what polls you look at. Um, this is the Georgia-Florida matchup. Let me correct, Nick. This is the Florida-Georgia game, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. It is Florida-Georgia, Nick. That's, it's fine. It, it, and I guess if you, if you want to say, you know, Florida-Georgia, you can. But, um, you know, that's fine. We, we'll call it whatever you want to call it. There's obviously disputes. You always get this stat from CBS. There's disputes on the record. And they played some games during the World War II and all this kind of stuff. So what makes this game special? First, let me just – I'll say this. I grew up in the state of Georgia. My dad is class of 72 from the University of Georgia, near and dear to my heart. Um, This rivalry is the best game of the year. I absolutely hate Florida, and that is where I stand on this. So this game is special to me. My dad also is a Georgia grad. I grew up in the state of Florida, Jacksonville. Smart man, smart man. Not smarter than me. (laughs) My dad went to Georgia. I grew up in Jacksonville where this game will be hosted. It has been hosted for a long time now. Uh, Going over the bridge, seeing the the orange and blue and the red and black half and half stadiums 50-50, that makes it special. But for me, I grew up a diehard Georgia Bulldog fan. I grew up in the Red Golf and Jim Donovan era. So you tucked tail and ran. So I had a lot of losses growing up as a Georgia fan. When I went to school, I went to the University of Florida in Gainesville. I am a diehard Florida Gator fan. I don't try to show it on this podcast, but I am a Florida Gator fan. I am no longer Georgia Bulldog. I cannot stand Georgia. No one could ever tell your allegiance with all your Dan Mullen love, and your Felipe Franks is comparable to the two Heisman the two Heisman two high touchdowns in the first game. We looked like Dan Moore from Tim Tebow. But yes, I have done a good job of being very objectionable. You I have tried not. to be not biased. Nick's <laughs> tried to be not biased. Maybe he's done a little bit. I have successfully job. done it. You have not. But just say this. I've been on both sides of this rivalry, but my, my allegiance is towards Florida right now and has been ever since I went to Florida. So let's get to some key points of it. The reason I know you mentioned some of these. The reason it is special is it is it is a huge SEC matchup. It's it's the it's the border rivalry, it's the 50-50 stadium, it's the true reason college football is exciting and it's and it's and it's been it's not recently it goes back and forth but these two teams are pretty evenly matched so this game is always exciting for the fans of this game but nationally it hasn't been as rebel uh, relevant since 2012 and in 2012 both teams had one loss going into this game and georgia happened to win this game guess who the defensive coordinator was for that game for georgia Ooh, who was it Todd Graham, guess who he's the defensive coordinator of? The Florida Gators. So that kind of brings a little uh, little juice to this rivalry as well with Todd Graham. But yeah, so you've got half the stadium uh, orange and blue, half the stadium red and black. You've got tailgating going on. You've got great food, and then you've got great football. This is the best weekend of the year. I've been a part of this ever since I was born, uh, and I am just so pumped to be down in Jacksonville this week. 
Yeah, definitely. So, um, so let's talk about this. I want to bring up another point. So you brought this up. The game is played in Jacksonville. I'm a Georgia fan. This whole thing about moving the game to the different stadiums, I'm against that. And you don't hear a lot of Georgia people say that. I'm not the type of person. I grew up, I'm like you, I grew up in not experiencing wins against Florida. I cannot stand Steve Spurrier. He ruined my childhood of college football. He's a great coach. I can respect that. But he single-handedly ruined a lot of my college football memories. They were a great team. And I, I, didn't, I, I don't have a ton of Georgia-Florida victories under my belt. So when we get them, it's very exciting. I don't care the games in Jacksonville because I think it makes total sense. I wouldn't mind if they decided to do, you know, up here in Atlanta or doing somewhere like that. I don't care if they go to the stadiums, but, like, everybody's got to agree to it. We drive a little further to get there. It doesn't matter to me because what should happen is is put your best team out there because it's 50-50 stadium. The Georgia fans travel just as much as Florida fans. I've not heard one Georgia fan complain about the time they've had in Jacksonville when it comes to the tailgating, the experience. When they win. The only complaints are when they lose uh, is they lost the game. But to be honest, look what's happening now. Georgia has really controlled the rivalry a little bit recently, so it doesn't really matter where the game is played. You've got 50-50 fans in that stadium. It's just, sure, Georgia has to drive a little bit further, maybe uh, four hours further, but guess what? They can go to St. Simon's and party all night and have a good time. So that's the so thing. I don't move the game for Jacksonville. It's a perfect location. I might be a little biased being that's, that's my hometown, but no, don't move it from Jacksonville. Great place. It's just like Texas, Oklahoma, and Dallas. Half the stadium is burnt orange, half the stadium it is. It's Crimson. It's the same thing here. This is the rivalry of the South, in my opinion, and you got to keep it in Jacksonville. So what's interesting about that was we mentioned kind of Georgia owning the rivalry a little bit. Out of the last eight, it's four and four. So I think we're kind of even there. Um, the rivalry altogether is Georgia 51, Florida 43, and two. There's some disputes in there, which doesn't really matter. the 90s, it's pretty much been heavy on Florida. Yeah, it has. It has been. That's what I'm saying. That's what I grew but up with. So since 2012, let's go to 2011. So 2011, 2012, yeah. 2013. You got four. Yeah. So let's do that. We'll get into that in a second. So what I also want to hit on is um, I want to mention, you know, what's your memory of this? I had a lot of bad memories. I want to give you one of my personal favorite memories of this. Um, it was that 2012 game. It was Jarvis Jones strip fumble of Jordan Reed tight end into the end zone kind of sealed that victory in a real kind of sloppy game two good teams but it was it was kind of the it's the, mo- the most it was the most recent win for me but it was kind of a memorable like getting over the hump there was too many bad memories of Terrence Edwards dropping passes and us starting quarterbacks we shouldn't start and and black pants and black jerseys and stupid things that have happened but that's what you do in a rivalry you try to do whatever you can to get that win so for me the the greatest memory it's actually two games it first started, and I was in school at Florida at this time, so I was there during the glory days. Uh, it first started with uh, the 2007 game. That's when Santiago won the Heisman. Georgia was a little struggling that year, and what they did on their first touchdown, the whole team stormed the field. Uh, that, to me, was like, what the hell was going on? And Urban Meyer got Florida all pumped up, and Mark Rick thought it was only supposed to be a few players going out to celebrate, but it was the entire team. I was at that game. That was an incredible atmosphere, but that celebration riled up the Georgia players, and they were able to win that game. 
So that to me was a great memory for Georgia fans. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was the retaliation for Florida the next season, 2008. We're going to retaliate. And, and Take timeouts at the end of the year. Kind of revenge for what happened in 2007. Uh, so 2008 was a blowout for the loss of the women the national championship. But it really was kind of rubbed in Mark Rick's face by Harry Meyer trying to soak up the victory and soak up that time and calling two timeouts at the very end of the game when the game was already over to uh, kind of experience more uh, more celebration uh, with more time left by taking those timeouts. So it was both the 2007 Georgia-Florida game and the 2008 Florida-Georgia game. Yeah, so we won't pick this game till the end. We'll pick it last, but we'll, um, we'll go to picks in a second. That's a really good point. As you can tell, there's been a lot of big coaches in this game. Urban's no longer there. Mark Rick's no longer there. Rick Paul's no longer there. Yeah, this should be a good matchup. I mean, Chip Dodd is no longer there. Yeah, true. So what should, what should be really good is Mullen versus Kirby Smart this this year. These are the two, to yeah. me, two of the best, some of the best coaches in college football. Kirby, Kirby's already got Georgia pretty much going to be dynasty level soon, the way they're recruiting, and Dan Mullen's trying to get there. So we talked about this as, as we talked about Notre Dame being back, and the Texas-Oklahoma rivalry is back. Like It looks like Georgia-Florida rivalry is back. So we're ready to go. So let's get into it. Um, let's get into the college football uh, picks of the week. We don't just call them picks. What is it? Um, we call it the who'd you got, right, Scott? That's what so we call who'd it. Who'd you got segment. Okay. So what we're going to do, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to do a little, I'm going to work on doing a Instagram. We're going to work Instagram lives that we're going to do. That's what we're going to do, Scott. So we're going to Instagram Live on these picks. We're going to try to if I can figure out technology, which I can't. We work for a tech company, and Nick cannot figure out the technology. Something's wrong with that. Must be that Georgia fan. It It must be. Um, Let's do this. Here we go. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. So. All right. Let's just go. Let's go with it. So here's what we got. Who'd you got this week? Last week or two? Anyway, up-to-date rankings. Nick went two and one. That no, these aren't the right ranks. Let's just go to updated for the year. So updated for the year, I'm twelve and eleven. Let me get this right. Nick. I'm twelve and eleven. Nick is fourteen and nine. Nick has been on the roll recently. Yeah. Okay. So the who you got for this week is the first game. So the updated is twelve and eleven for the season for Scott and fourteen and nine for Nick. Okay. So first game we've got number sixteen Texas A and M. Versus Mississippi State. Mississippi State is a minus three favorite? That is correct. Mississippi State is a favorite in this game. How the heck are they favorite in this game? They're, they are at home. They've got the cowbells ringing. I guess I'm going to take this game first. All right, so Texas and Mississippi State, who'd you got? Give me Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M all day. Uh, minus three. I don't know how Mississippi State's favorite. A&M will win this game. All right, so I'm taking Texas A&M. Jimbo's too much for Joe Moorhead. Joe Moorhead's been lost, and he's getting guys kicked out of games, and he's, he's being a crazy person. So Joe Moorhead way in over his head. Give me Texas a and I see what you did there. Second game we've got, number six, Texas, two-and-a-half-point favorites at Oklahoma State. Scott, who'd you got? Texas traveling to Stillwater. Ellinger might not be healthy. I don't care. Give me Texas. Tom Herman. Oklahoma State struggled this year. Give me Texas. Tom Herman, Ellinger, whether he's healthy or not, I'm taking Oakham Horns. So I've already picked – I've already told you – Ellinger, I've checked the stats. I've checked the injury report. Ellinger's playing. Herman, Texas, get the win. Give me Texas in this game. All right, this is really exciting. So this is our first time doing a podcast, Georgia versus Florida. Scott, who'd you got? I'm wearing the hat, baby. Go Gators. Give me Florida. Let's go. So, so real quick, I'm not wearing the hat. I'm wearing the Georgia Southern hat because today's actually where my alma mater is playing, App State. 
10-point underdog, Georgia Southern outright winners. If you want to win some money, Georgia Southern tonight at Paulson Stadium beats App State. Let's get to the other game on Saturday. UGA gets the victory against Florida. These guys are going down. Dan Mullen's not ready. Todd Grantham does not know how to coach defense. That 2012 Todd Grantham defense won you that game. So tell Jarvis Jones, tell Jarvis Jones, Todd Grantham doesn't know how to coach defense. All right, so that's our first Instagram Live. That's our episode. And we will talk about this game next week. See you guys later. It was funny. What's that? I was going to take George for one. <laughs> you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I was going to take George in that game. I think it was funny.